Thank you. It's a, it's a little bit exciting. I have to warn you, uh, I have a three-week and two-day-old, uh, so I may be short of a minute or two of sleep here or there. So, and being the end of the year, it could be really exciting. I just don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. It could, could be interesting. I may promise everybody a pay rise, but I don't have the authority to do that. So, uh, yeah, you just never know what's going to come out. But it's exciting. We're in December, and last week we finished the Ten Commandments. We did it. Morella, please hit that button. Yeah, being a parent of two, father of two now, uh, I'm a bit more familiar with things that I wasn't before. Uh, so we actually don't watch that show, I'll just uh, clarify that. But we did. I did take Jemima to the Wiggles yesterday, that was pretty exciting. She wasn't sure what was going on at first, because the Wiggles are this thing she watches on the iPad, and then we're at this concert with 5,000 people. But she got the idea about halfway through, and uh, it was very exciting. And so uh, Wiggles fun. Uh, was what she said for the rest of the day, and and we, so so that's that's what I got up to uh, yesterday. So now we are in December, and so it, the next three weeks are called the Road to Christmas. Uh, we've we just got a, a mini series. We're, we're we're sticking with this theme of series because decided we're actually getting some really good preaching, we're getting some really good insight, we're uh, getting stuff talked about in the connect groups, and we're, we're growing and we're moving as a church and, and talking through content that's relevant to everybody. So the Christmas, we thought this year with Christmas, uh, there's a few new people in church, people that might not uh, know uh, the background to the Christmas story, and, and for those that have been in church, we also just wanted to uh, refresh that and maybe uh, talk about some things that maybe haven't been talked before. Um, and maybe you've heard it all before, but just it's just good to be reminded of Christmas, why we have Christmas and the purpose of Christmas. So simply, Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus. The, the word Christmas is Christ Mass. So it's where the, a mass of people gather together to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. That's where the name comes from. Why Jesus Christ? In Matthew chapter 1, we have, uh, there's a whole genealogy, and I'll just warn you, my message was actually going to be based off this, but it changed about through, through the week, so you're lucky you didn't get 20-odd verses of me reading through names. That, that would have been interesting. But this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Jesus the Messiah, why, why did the, the New Testament and the life of Jesus starts with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1? Jesus the Messiah. Messiah means anointed, anointed one, and Christ is also used as, as the same word. So Jesus Christ. So we're going back, but why, why do we need to have Christmas? Well, we're, we're going to spend over the next three weeks, today I'm going to talk about why did Jesus need to come in the first place? Why do we have Christmas? Why do we celebrate the birth of this person? Why did Jesus have to come? And it's all about God had a plan right from the beginning of mankind. And we are part of that plan today, a uh, number of years later. In the next couple of weeks, uh, Chris will talk about 
uh, all the foretelling of Jesus as the Messiah. This, this Messiah person, this, this hero, how do we know that Jesus is the right one? Brandon did a great message a few weeks ago about, uh, about who Jesus is and, and how we know that he's either God or crazy. And, and, and one part he didn't cover was just, just through the Old Testament because we left it for next week. And just the amount of times and the uh, hundreds of thousands of years before Jesus was born, the specific things that were said about him and who he was going to be and the things he was going to accomplish are just so precise, they'll blow your socks off. Uh, and then uh, in week three, uh, you're going to hear about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And then on Christmas Eve, spoiler, spoiler alert, we're celebrating Jesus' birth, Christmas Day. It happens every year, we, ce- we celebrate it, but Jesus was actually born, spoiler alert. Cool, it's great. Okay, it's a bit exciting. So, why did Jesus need to come to earth? Why do we gather in church? Why do we worship this, this Jesus person? Why, why did he even come? Why, why couldn't something else happen? Why don't we just celebrate God? And why did he come to earth in the form of a man? Well, let me take you just a few years back, roughly 6,000 years ago. Probably, according to some scholars, it's 6,018 years ago, if you want to be specific. The year 4004 BC. Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Skipping forward a couple of verses, verse 21. So the Lord Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Couple, another verse forward. In verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. In chapter 3, Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So this story is all about the first two humans and when uh, sin comes into the world, and why it's right back at the beginning where Jesus needed to come into the picture, and and God working even through this situation. So Adam and Eve were tempted, and uh, they had a conversation with Satan. We we might, it's referred to here as a snake, but 
uh, it's commonly uh, amongst Bible scholars referred to, that was uh, Satan or the devil walking in the garden. And because some of the words used to represent snake also mean shiny one, and it's the same sort of verses that are used in other parts of the Old Testament to represent uh, Satan and the one, the lofty one that tried to esteem himself above God. So we're talking about the devil wa- uh, talking to Adam and Eve and trying to tempt them to eat this fruit. So what he says, did God really say? Just thank you, Marilla. So the devil can't change what God has promised you, but he will tempt you to doubt it. So God has been walking in the garden with Adam. He he spoke to Adam before Eve came and he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, just not that one. The devil comes along and say, did did God really say that you can't eat from that one tree? He actually said, did God say you can't eat from any of the trees? And then Eve had to clarify, said, no, just, just that one tree. But the rest of them, yeah, they're good. Every other tree. And we're not just talking about my back garden, which has nothing that represents a tree, a few bushes. There's a couple of trees out the front. We're not talking about either A or B. We're talking about a huge garden, like national park size, even bigger, depending on what country you're in. So you like jungle, there's, it's, everything's lush. There's everything there. He says, did God really say... You know, the devil comes and he tries to, John 10.10 10 says he comes to steal, kill and destroy. He, he'll just put in a little bit of doubt and he'll say, did God really say that? So God might have promised you something, he might have provided everything for you and there's just this one little hang up. He said, did God really say that? Because he can't change, God's promises are true, they, they, come, they come to pass the devil can't change that, but he can change your way of thinking about those promises. He takes away the positive of the statement. So God said, you can eat everything. It's a positive thing. Like, not 99%, it's probably 99.9999% of everything there is yours. Just that one, just leave that for me, please. Leave, leave that for us. Everything else is yours. That's pretty positive. You can you know, imagine having access to 99.999% of the world's wealth and resources and uh, le- real estate, you know, the biggest tycoon in the world. And it just says, just this one house, just this one area of your life, just, just leave that for me. I'll, I'll take care of that. Everything else is yours. But the devil says, did God really say? He doesn't have to come in big doesn't have to come and make other promises. just put places a little bit of doubt. So did God really say that he should supply all your need? When you come to times of pressure and, and we don't have the resources around, the thoughts creep into our mind. Did God really say he's going to provide that job? Did God really say he's going to help me pay the bills and my family are going to have enough in the cupboards to, to be fed? And Did God really say that by his stripes you are healed? There's many promises in the book. Did God really say that I have access to full healing? Or am I just going to focus on the, the one part that's a struggle and forget all of the other miracles he's provided in my life in the past, all the financial blessing, my, my salvation? Did God really say that I have access to this thing that I haven't yet attained? Or am I going to focus on everything else he has said and has provided and all the other positive uh, blessing that God has provided? So the question I have is, what has God promised you? What promise that 
he's given to you that being distracted by this other thing that you can't have? What has God spoken over your family? What prophecy has he given to you in the past? When have you been prayed over? He said, you've got access to this, this amazing opportunities in your future. Your family are coming back to church. There's salvation in your house. Healing is accessible for you. But you're over, over here focusing on this one little issue that's really got nothing to do with anything. He's saying, come over here. You've got access to everything else. Stop looking over here. It's about perspective. Kind of stand up and look out. Because he says, like, what, what is the, the tree that might be in our life? He says, this, that tree in the middle of the garden. Just leave that one alone. You know, we're not talking about your backyards and your, your trees and, and, and what the, the flowers that are there. We're talking about you know, what's the tree in your life, the thing that God said, just, just leave that to me. It's not the time or the season yet, but everything else. Just, just look back. Look at what I have done for you. Look at the fact that you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning, whether you're a Christian or uh, you're thinking about it. The fact that you've got to this point and the people you've met in this room and the financial blessing and the family you've grown up in, whether it's good or bad, the opportunities that have been provided to you, the fact that you're, you're healthy, you're able to get to church on a Sunday morning, all of these things. And sometimes we can just focus on this one little thing we just can't control. A couple of weeks ago in Connect Group, we didn't use the notes. I'm slightly rebellious sometimes. But we, we, just, we just took a few minutes just to, well, it was probably longer than a few minutes. We just wrote down, I just thought sometimes we get to the end of the year, and you know how there's New Year resolutions and whether or not you actually follow those through. But they're often, the resolutions are often based on the idea that something wasn't good enough this year that you need to change it for next year. I thought, yeah, that's a, it's a funny what I like goal setting. I like progress as someone that likes to lead myself and lead my family and business and work. I like to try and be forward-thinking and make changes and always be a better person and have a better f- uh, improve our family and our opportunities. And doing stuff around church, we're always working as a team to try and tweak this and that to make things better and looking forward to the future. But sometimes it's good just to take stock and go, look at all the great things that happened this year. So, so we wrote down f- five things for each person that uh, we're thankful to God for the blessing or the opportunity, whatever he has done for us in this year, because sometimes we get so f- fixated on the fact we're stumbling through to the end of the year and we're getting into the busy Christmas social season. We forget, 10 months ago, I got that job, or 10 months ago, God healed me from this, or... Uh, 10 or 11 months ago, these, this group of people came into the church that we didn't have before and look, look at uh, what, how it's changed our church for the positive. Like, I'm thankful for, for Chris and, and all the, the Chinese students that we've got in the church. You know, at the start of the year, we didn't have any of you guys and, and we'd love having you guys. And, and we're, we're thankful for what God has done and by bringing Simon and Amy with, with Isabel making a little bit of noise at the back. We're thankful for new life in the church. We're thankful for all of these things, but sometimes we get so fixated on 
the fact that maybe there's a baby making a noise and we forget about the fact that the lives that are represented by those people and the baby that's in the church in the first place. <laughs> yeah. How many of you ever watched this bottle of water wondering if I was actually going <laughs> to see it? Anyway, keep the lid off. It's going to get exciting. You got your raincoats in the front row? <laughs> so, sometimes we get lost in our current circumstance and forget about what God has actually done for us and what He's provided in the past. Uh, he says, you will not certainly die. There's something else that uh, Satan says to him, uh, says to Eve. He says, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this isn't actually the ability to know right and wrong because the very fact that Eve's having this discussion and deciding if it's right or wrong to have this fruit is the fact that she kind of knows that there is a right and a wrong. But it's the desire to be like God and have the knowledge of God. But the strange thing is, if she spent enough time in the Garden of Eden hanging out with God, she probably could have got the knowledge she needed for certain circumstances and it really actually wouldn't have mattered. It was just this fact, it was this one thing that she was asked not to, or commanded not to touch, this one area, just to, just to leave to God. But God probably would have provided that knowledge if needed. That's not in the Bible, I just made that up. But I, I think it's true. that God had all the knowledge, and he just said, just leave that one tree. And, and if God thought it was wise or prudent to, for Eve and Adam to have any of that knowledge, he would have given it to them. So their behavior, what, what they did, in, they, they doubted and questioned what God had promised to them. So the sin that came in, they, they coveted this fruit. They saw this fruit on this tree. We talked about coveting for a month earlier this year. They saw this fruit was good and pleasing to the eye. And that's something I, I want to have. Then they disobeyed God. They rebelled against what he had commanded. And then they stole the fruit because it wasn't theirs. So there's a few different... Uh, sins in there and from the Ten Commandments uh, series that we've done, hopefully that'll make, make a bit of sense to understand. So what we have, the devil tempted or questioned or doubted, put doubt into Eve's mind and Adam was standing right next to her. So men, don't think it's women's fault. It's, uh, I'll get onto that later. It's, it's very much the opposite. But then this sin came into the world. They coveted the fruit, they took the fruit, they stole, they disobeyed God. In verse uh, 7, chapter 3, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, why is this you have done? What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So, there's a few things. There's, there's a few behaviors that came about. So, firstly, sin enters the world. 
through Adam and Eve taking and disobeying, taking the fruit, disobeying God. So sin comes in. The resulting behavior of that sin is very interesting. So firstly, what was their reaction? What was the, the outworking of or what they did after the sin came in? The first thing they did was they covered themselves. They made coverings. So what, what does that represent? They disguise themselves. They're, they're hiding in the trees. They're hiding in the bushes. They've sewed fig leaves together and they're disguising themselves. They, they did it in their strength. They, they created a covering for themselves. So th- there's a few things in that. That sometimes when, when we might sin or we might do the wrong thing or we might stumble, we try and hide. We might just kind of like cover up, you know, oh, yeah, I did that thing, but, you know, just don't look at me or I'll just kind of retreat in the background. Or I'm going to go about and, oh, so I lied on that form. That means I then need to create a paper trail so somebody won't see that. Or I sent that text message to that person I shouldn't have. So then I need to do create more work for myself and go, delete that message or something or I looked at this website I shouldn't have so I need to go do something about it so other people can't see that website. We make more work for ourselves when sin comes in and we do it in our strength. So the question is what are we covering up? Are we disguising ourselves to fit in? Are we not being honest to ourselves to, to fit in you know, at work? We're not standing up as being someone of upright character. Are we just kind of like fitting in with the culture just to, because it's comfortable and, and, and the sin's around? Or are we going to stand up and, and be strong? Are we not being true to how God made us? God did not make us and Adam and Eve with inbuilt clothes. This shirt does not, is not an extension of my skin. It, Adam and Eve made the coverings for themselves. So they're not being true to how God created them. And we can apply that uh, spiritually. We can apply that in, in how we interact with others and how we have the relationships with others and how we talk and all of that. Are we being true to how God made us? The second behavior that came from Adam and Eve was they hid, which I touched on already. So they were hiding from God in the... Garden of Eden, they hid behind trees and bushes. It also speaks of hiding from relationships because God was the only one that they had relationship with. It said God walked in the garden and he would come in the cool of the day, the cool of the evening, and, and come and chat to them and talk to them. And God and, and had relationship with Adam and Eve. So what did Adam and Eve do? They, just try not to trip over, they hid. I don't want to see you, God. <laughs> so they're separating themselves from relationship because, you know, we, we learn in uh, business and email communication, a lot of what you can write, you know, it can be misinterpreted, but there's so much of communication that's in the face-to-face, in the body language and the, rela- the relationship we have there. So they hid themselves from God. They were hiding from relationship and from their natural environment, which was Garden of Eden. So when we make mistakes, do we, are we withdrawing ourselves? Do we withdraw from social circumstances because of what we've done or what we might be ashamed of? Or do we like not turn up to church or do we not go to prayer meetings or because we're just, things have gone on 
And so we're just going to withdraw from the social relationships we have. Do we not go out for coffee with that person or do we just kind of cancel on that thing we had organized rather than keep up the relationships? <laughs> it might be because we've got something to hide or it might just be because we're uh, shameful or just uh, might be depressed about it. But Jesus says, just come as you are. You know, we, we don't, there, there's this, perception that some people have about church that you have to be perfect to come to church if that was the case this would be the attendance of church nobody none of us are perfect get that out of your head it's not about being perfect to come to church because we'll never get perfection we're attaining to be like Jesus who was perfect but we won't be perfect but we come to church to meet Jesus so we can be more like him and be around people the Bible says iron sharpens iron So I sit down with Brendan and he says, I don't like that part of your preaching. He doesn't really quite say it like that. But it's like, because he's a preacher and then he'll give me some feedback and the rest of us will share ideas. And then I go, okay, iron sharpens iron, which means I'll just cut that bit off. So next week I'll probably be a bit better and hopefully be a bit better in the future. And then when we meet in connect groups, they're like, I'm thinking about doing this in my job and somebody else might say, that's not really that wise. Maybe you could do it this way. And we offer a bit of wisdom and we kind of refine. The relationships around us help make us to be a better person. So when we have behavior that causes us to hide, we're actually withdrawing from some of the potential that we can be by being in those relationships. The third thing that came from behavior was fear. Adam says he is afraid because he is unclothed. He hid because he was afraid. So sin brings in fear into our world. Fear didn't exist until sin was there. What he's fearing is the, the shame of being a, uh, appearing naked in God's presence and his awareness of the shame exposing his guilt. So he's fearing what God might do. He's fearing what he's done. He's, the shame has created this fear in him to... Like, how's this going to affect? And I'm not going to be the man God created me to be and stand up. I'm going to go hide because I'm afraid. So the hiding was one behavior, but it was motivated by fear. The fourth thing was blame. It's a really interesting look here. So let's get the story straight. When God instructed to eat from that one tree not eat from that one tree, just checking if you're listening, uh, and eat, could eat from everything else, Adam was the only one around. Eve didn't exist at that point. So God communicated that to Adam. So Adam received that message and is the primary caretaker of that message. Then Eve comes along. So the whole thing comes down to Adam's lack of communication. <laughs> yeah. This is for the men. I'm far from perfect, but there's a lot we're responsible for. So he failed to communicate the message effectively, so then that Eve didn't, might not have understood to the, ex- the grave extent of what that message meant. Also, it says, Eve took the fruit, ate it, and handed it to Adam. So Adam's standing right there. So he could literally say, uh, this isn't Adam and Eve, but he say, Brendan, don't eat the fruit. God said no. Don't eat the fruit. But he's, 
he just, he was a bit of a weakling. Just like, yeah, so devil, you talk to Eve. I'll just stand here. You have a discussion. I won't say anything because I'm spineless. Men, have a spine and, you know, help out. And then the fruit's handed him, okay, yeah, I'll eat it too. So he got this message from God. He sees all this going on, the fruit. He has it himself. So Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Nobody took responsibility. So when sin and it comes into the world, people are blame shifting and uh, not taking responsibility and just kind of sh- uh, spreading it onto someone else. So when we stuff up, do we pass the blame on someone else? Or do we stand up and say, at work, say to the boss, I made a mistake, this is what happened. Or do we say, oh, you know, the team kind of made this decision and this person didn't communicate that to that person. And so really, it's a little bit that, it's a little bit that person. And I kind of had might have had a bit to do with it if you really look at it from that perspective. We just say, I'm sorry. Like, stand up on the inside, stand up physically and say, this happened, I made a mistake. You'll be surprised how that off, how that's received. I, I've done that in workplace. I've made a mistake. You might be surprised. I'm not perfect. I have made mistakes and I said, look, this has happened. And I made the wrong decision or this is because of what I did. And bosses go, oh, okay. Okay, we'll fix it then. Because they're used to dealing with people that are slip, sliding and conniving and getting around everywhere. There's a phrase that's often thrown around amongst males called man up. You know, just, just stand up. You know, it, it, there could be all sorts of things you could take from that, but just like, don't be spineless. Just stand, stand up, be integrous and stand strong and be who God created you to be. Then in uh, verse 11, God says, Who told you that you were naked? Now, God isn't asking this because he doesn't know the information. He's asking because he wants Adam to, uh, to confess, to, to actually give the answer rather than get around the blame. He's saying, okay, so I know all things, but I want to hear it from you. I want you to say what happened, not just go around fixing things. Sometimes we need to confess something to break the power of it and to move forward. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. So this here is a, as I said before, probably not an actual snake. It's a representation and saying it's chaos and defeat. So this is God saying to Satan, the rest of your days are going to be wrecked with chaos and defeat and uh, things are going to be messy for you. Because serpents actually, I, I did look this up, they actually don't eat dust. Not, not as part of their diet. They might accidentally, because they're on the ground, pick up a bit of dust with food. But they don't go out like some uh, birds might eat stones to help kind of digest things in their stomach. They, they don't eat dust for any particular reason and, and never have. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
This is good. So what's all this saying? God had a plan right from the first humans that made the first mistake. God put a plan in action right from that day. In verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. Enmity means hostility. It's, uh, so what God is saying is I'm going to put hostility. In uh, the message version says I'm declaring war between your descendants and my descendants. So God is saying, right, Satan, you've come in, you've uh, tempted my humans, my creation, away from what I've commanded them. Your days are numbered. He's saying, you watch it, your days are numbered because hostility and war is coming. And by offspring, some versions say seed. So he's talking about historically there's a person coming that is going to crush your head. So the verse, if we just go, oh, it's still there, cool. So he will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Now, there's, if you have a heel struck, you can sort of limp along. But if your head's crushed, you're gone. <laughs> just putting it plainly. So what what he's talking about is this is actually for those that don't know this is when Jesus died his heel was was grabbed you know, he's limping but then when he rose from the dead and defeated the power of death he crushed Satan's head hmm, it's good I like wooden floors if there was a concrete block it would hurt a lot more so striking his heel. That, that's when we, that's Easter, that's coming in a few months, we'll have another message then. But God says, right, this is war. Between your descendants and my descendants, you, you might think you're going to win. When you strike his heel and Jesus dies, you might think you've won. But I'm going to crush your head. Everything that you've brought into humanity, the, the, the sin that you've helped bring in, the, the temptation, the death, I'm going to crush your head. Sounds very vicious. It is great. But so what this plan involved was sending Jesus to die for us. So when he died on the cross, rose again, he broke the power of of death, broke the power of sickness so that we have access to relationship with God. We no longer had to try to attain to be perfect. We just had to accept Jesus into our life and accept what he did on the cross. Now, verse 21 the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life so sin comes into the world through temptation through coveting the behavior is hiding and fear and coverings the consequences of that sin were that eternal life was removed so in that verse it says they no longer had access to the Garden of Eden. So they, they could eat from the tree. There was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they no longer had access to the tree of life, which gave them eternal life, spending 
a lifetime with God, walking in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve could have lived forever if they had not sinned and kept eating from the tree of life. As a result of this, pain and suffering entered their world. Sickness and death. Because God cannot be made a liar. He made a promise and he said, if you touch that tree, I have no choice. I'm saying this. If I do not follow through, then my character is not what it needs to be. My character is flawed. But he said, he, I would say he regretfully followed through with his promise. So because of that, not being having access, they were to die. And they did live hundreds of years, but eventually they did die. And there were curses. Now, I've skipped over a couple of verses, but t- talked about Adam having to work the land and, and the toil that comes with that, and Eve having to suffer in childbirth. And I saw that a few weeks ago. <laughs> childbirth is not easy. And that was just for me in the room, let alone for the woman. I've got to say, Carmen did a great job. So hard work and toil and pain and sickness and death have come into the world because of sin. But even in, in spite of this, something that I'm not sure if you would have picked up on, in spite of the promise and the follow-through and God saying, I made a promise, he disobeyed my commandment, here's the action. Even in, in amongst all of this, he still shows grace right at that very moment. Back to verse 21, he says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God made a promise, but such as his character, he couldn't go back on it. But he made garments for them. So in spite of them going against commandments, his first action after this was to provide cover and protection by making them clothes. Adam and Eve's best initiative was fig leaves. That ain't going to last long in winter. It's not going to do much. Just, it's a picture of how much better God's provision is over what we can do in our strength. We might be able to string a few leaves together, but God can provide leather and skins and warmth and protection because leather uh, and the skins are not just warmth, but they're also uh, protection. They, they were used, you know, used to protect from knives and all, all sorts of things. So it's not just uh, the, the fact of having clothes and, and a covering, but there's so many other purposes behind this. They're, they're stronger, warmer, and more protected from the elements. So God abides by his word, but he still showed grace in the very moment of uh, honoring what he said he would do, honoring his promise. And how much more has Jesus, ta- Jesus taken the cost of our sin on the cross? So God says there is a penalty for sin, it's death. But then Jesus comes along as the ultimate act of grace. And in spite of our behavior, God still sends Jesus as his plan. And he says, in the Garden of Eden, 4,000 years, I'm sending my son. He's going to die on a cross and he's going to crush your head, Satan. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this eternal life that was lost in the Garden of Eden came about when God sent Jesus to pay that price. So that is why we celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas. That is why we spend so much time honoring and 
why it's all based around the birth of Jesus. Because it's this moment in time where 4,000 years before Jesus came, God said, I've got a plan in place. And that means 6,000 6, years ago. So he's seeing 6,000 years into the future. He knows that each one of us will be here. And he's saying, I've got a plan in place. Jesus is coming. It's going to give access to everybody after that point for eternal life just by believing and accepting that Jesus paid that price when he died on the cross. Jesus took that cost of the sin. So we can walk with him in heaven and have that eternal life again. George, can I please get up? Just want to take a couple of minutes this morning just to see, just to offer the opportunity, something we do every week. Just, so we're, we're getting ready for Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus. Maybe you've uh, uh, heard the story of Jesus before. Maybe it's, it's new. Maybe you've experienced these things of, of fear and of hiding and of shame and guilt and wondered, what, what's the answer? You've done everything in your strengths to try and get rid of that. But the only thing that can get rid of that and give you access to eternal life is Jesus Christ. So I want to uh, offer an opportunity this morning just, for, just to have every eye closed across the room, please. Just in this sacred moment, just to offer up the opportunity for someone that's might have been in church for a while, might, have been, might be your first time this morning. Maybe you didn't know where Jesus came from and why he needed to come. And now, now you understand, or maybe you don't understand much, but this Jesus guy sounds great. He's got the answers. The answer is just accepting him as your Lord and Savior as, and saying, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the, the, the sin. I'm hiding, I might be fearful, I might be prideful, I might be doing things in my own strength, but I lay that all down. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. That's all we need to do. We don't have to achieve a certain checklist. We just need to invite Him into our lives and start following Him. just wonder if there's anybody this morning that's never made that decision to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior they would want to do that this morning and and I'll ask you in a moment to lift up your hands just as a symbol and a signal to me and I'll acknowledge that just a sacred moment something we do every week and it's a great time of year to do it every day of the year is great but heading into Christmas the birth of Jesus it's a great season to understand everything that we're about in church and what God's done for you so is there anybody this morning that would like to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior just lift up your hand this morning just if there's anybody here and I'll acknowledge that hand if I see it
for everybody else. You can keep your eyes shut if you like. Question is, going back to the start of my message, what's the tree in your life that God said, just, just leave that to me? What's the thing that, in spite of everything God's done for you, the provision, the miracles, what's that thing you're hung up on? That, did God really say, maybe you're questioning that, maybe you're questioning what's in the future. What's the tree in your life? Maybe there's a sin that you're covering. Maybe there's a behavior, something that you're hiding from, something you've done. Maybe how you're interacting with people, you're, you're hiding from relationships that are actually going to improve you and make you a better person. Hiding from the people God has put around you, hiding from church, hiding from worshiping, hiding from accountability. Or maybe you're living with shame and guilt. Maybe you've done something or something's been, been done to you and you're living with that shame and that guilt. That's not for you to carry. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He paid the price for that 2,000 years ago. So you don't have to live with that today. And God put that plan into action 6,000 years ago, knowing that you would be here today. And you are part of that plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil. Maybe you're living in fear. What are you afraid of? Is it fear of being in front of people? Is it fear of talking about Jesus? Is it the fear of if people really knew what I was like, that they wouldn't like me? People really knew what I did. Jesus wasn't into that. He's not after perfection. He's just after your relationship. Chris will talk about the Old Testament next week, but one verse I cannot ignore is Isaiah 61. It's one of my life verses, I believe. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You can open your eyes for a moment if you like. It might be a couple more minutes. But it's this picture of might be poor, downtrodden, but through this whole chapter, the first half of the chapter he's talking about you might be this but Jesus came to provide that so you might be poor but he's proclaiming good news you might be broken hearted but he's come to bind you up provide comfort you might be captive but he's come to give you freedom you might be in darkness and feeling like you're in a prison uh, thoughts and emotions or physically but he's come to proclaim freedom for that to release from that darkness to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God you might be mourning but he comes to comfort you you might be grieving but he comes to provide for you instead of ashes you get a crown of beauty instead of mourning you get the oil of joy 
instead of a spirit of despair and hiding, retreat, a garment of praise. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Verse 7, instead of your shame, talked about that earlier, you will receive a double portion. You might have deserved shame and guilt. Jesus says, I came to give you a double portion. Instead of the disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Instead of the disgrace of your actions or uh, what's been done to you, your inheritance is as a child of God. You will rejoice in that and what that provides for you. You will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Shame, fear and guilt came with Adam and Eve's actions. Jesus came and took that all away. Just ask everybody to stand this morning. I just ask those same questions again. Let's just uh, put your hands out before God and just wait on His Holy Spirit to speak to you. Maybe you already know. What are the little things that are appearing, that are breaking your perspective? What's that tree in your life? What do you need to bring before God this morning? Say, I'm sorry. Start praising Him and thanking Him for everything that He's provided for you. Stop focusing on the one thing He's asked you to leave behind. Start focusing on everything else around you that He's given you. Maybe you're living in shame or guilt. Bring that before God this morning. recommit to Jesus say Jesus take this from me I want to be true to myself I want to stop hiding I want to stop doing things in my strength and covering up I cannot sustain this it's weighing me down I need you Jesus just take a minute here action 6,000 years ago for each and every one of us. We have access to so much. away from some somebody's eyes about provision that's available the limited thinking you've thought about God because you've been focusing on that one tree and you say no 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 look around you look what's around for others it's around healing you're focusing on the the, the one thing that might not be improving or the one situation you're saying look at the rest of it 
Look at what my word says about healing. Look at the people around you that have been healed. Look at the healings I've provided for you in the past. Stop fixating on this one thing and get some perspective. Maybe it's in how you've got relationships with people and there's there's just this one thing. God's saying, just leave that one thing to the side. Leave that tree to the side. Look at the rest of that relationship. Look at the rest of the people around you I've put in your life to inspire you, to lift you up when you're down, to, to be generous to you. Stop looking at that one thing. Did God really say to just leave that alone? Just leave that to God. He'll take care of that. The rest has been given to you.